Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's October 8th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 433. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Gita Jackson. Hello, I'm Gita. Patrick Klapik. Hello. And our producer, Ricardo Contreras. Yo. So, uh, let's just dig into it. We got a lot of, it is It is the fall, we got games uh, coming out, the wazoo, they're just pouring in from all directions, the ship is taking on water, we're sinking under the weight of it's all these big names. Releases. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, they're video games, Rob. What are you, what's going on with you? What's happening over in your <laughs> neck of the games? Look, I just one could say I'm besieged by darkness. Uh, wow! Like the games are not what they once were, my friend. These are these are strange imposters wearing the skin of uh, of, of games we love. Um, I am, of course, talking. Ew. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about Far Cry 6, which I was trying to dig into a bit this week. And uh, a bit like our friend Matthew Galt uh, did when he when he started uh, working on it for a not quite review, a rage quit review, a review yep. of a rage quit experience. Um, and I got to say, I get it. I, I think, um, you know, Gita, you and I had had this conversation uh, a couple weeks ago about like, what do you do with a series like Far Cry at this point? Because in a lot of ways, it's kind of critically inert. It's not an interesting object to discuss because so much is known as you go into it. And you've been trained to expect so little in terms of how it handles material. Uh, and so it was kind of like freelancers were not biting. I was like sort of dreading, like, am I going to have to to saddle up for this. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I think series like that present a weird problem as a critic. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I, I read Gulch Review. And to me, that's sort of like the final word on Far Cry as a series to me. Because so many of the things that he mentioned in his review as being a huge turnoff, like just endless expanse of open world with like icons everywhere and shit to do, encounters with enemies that feel repeated, and pretty much copy-pasted uh, this crafting mechanic that required an endless grind for resources, uh, checklists that are unfun versus checklists that are super fun for me um, in other kinds of games where their balance on those sort of resource grinds is a little bit different. This All of this could have described the last Far Cry game I played, which was the one where you go up in, in rural Montana against a bunch of cultists. Is that the and actual last? Isn't that the last one I played, right? That was the cult, that was the actual last one, right? No, there was one in between. It depends there on was, what you count. Like, they yeah. do the sort of semi-sequel standalones where it's like we're, we're going to reuse the assets, yeah. but like change a lot of the textures. This was what, New Dawn or something? Primal. Yeah, was it New Dawn? Because no, Primal was a while ago. Yeah, Pri yeah, Primal was a while ago. 
And that one just completely. Oh, New Dawn was like, oh, the women are in charge. They are yeah. also can shoot the gun, but they're bad. Um, yeah, no, it was. The, uh, yeah, no, because we joked about this because it was. Yes. It was the girls from the Purge movie, like the second mm-hmm. Purge movie. It was Correct. like, I want my right. candy, old man. Like it was totally that. I, pur- I purged just- that game from my mind. For did not did not know it existed again until I brought up here. Okay, so I, yeah, though I, I I did I finished the the cult one. I try I tried to. I don't know. If those games work for you, I feel like Ubisoft as a as a publisher in a lot of ways seems to be on a track where they've they've made they have this formula for a series of their games which are built on like a larger meta formula that they've built a lot of their games out of and if that formula still works for you, they're just wholly uninterested in in changing much of it other than sort of like throwing up coats of paint. You know, I've seen like I, the responses to like the story in this games like run the gamut where it's either like Complete trash, like everything we feared to like, well, mostly complete trash to like with a couple of highlights, like the women seem pretty cool in the game. But by and large, I think it's just if these games work for you and like they're your thing, like, hey, I know this is just kind of like garbage that I'm putting in my mouth, but like it's the garbage I like. uh, That's fine. Otherwise, like I've just, I guess, accepted that Assassin's Creed is no longer for me. Far Cry is no longer for me. And look, those are a lot of hours I can get back. To mm-hmm. enjoy things that that make me happy and I find interesting, Kato, make sure you have you found the worm in Sable. Make sure you find the worm in Sable. Look at the worm. If you get to the worm and you're just like, yeah, it's just a it's just a stone worm, Patrick. There's uh-huh. nothing else to it. Send me a message. <laughs> I'll give you a, a game pro pro tip and we'll see what happens. Okay, but that's all. Just to say, I've, I've <laughs> sort of I've sort of accepted that I, like until these games shift in some meaningful way that isn't just the equivalent of like kind of a, a palette uh, change of like a the, the colors and the environment. I don't know. They're just they're just not for me. So I, I I echo Galt. Had I booted up this game, I probably would have the exact same reaction. I just did the thing before that, which was not play not play <laughs> yeah, the game yeah. and, and accept it. It's remarkable reading Galt's review because it's just like I had this exact same emotional journey with the previous Far Cry, where it's just like, do I even want to do this anymore? Like, is this actually scratching an itch for me at all and like no absolutely not there's just nothing in it for me like far beyond like in this game particularly it seemed like the quote-unquote political aspect of the game was mostly designed to promote and create controversy but it's just so boring and predictable that i can't even be like mad about the things that it contains it's like no more or less anti-communist or like uh phobic towards uh latinx people than any other part of our culture it's just like on the surface about it. And it's just, yeah. I don't have to play that to know it. I'm good. The, the weird <laughs> like, thing is I actually sort of started to hit this point with uh, Far Cry 4, which a lot of people liked. Uh, that was sort of a scene as like one of the better entries in the Far Cry formula. And playing that, I was like, well, shit, if this is like a good Far Cry, I just don't know that the the peaks are high enough. I don't know that there's enough. I don't know there's enough here to, to keep me engaged. And yeah, like playing Far Cry 6 uh, it does start immediately running into all those familiar problems. Um, you know, the premise is that you're kind of in this, you're in this fake Cuba. Uh, and after years of um, like tyranny, uh, a a new, even worse tyrant has uh, taken over the country. But then because it's Ubisoft, it also then has to just get like needlessly weird for some reason. So, um, the reason, like, the thing that you know this guy is up to no good, uh, 
is because he's working on some sort of super drug, uh, like uh, Vivero or something like that. Um, and it is a cancer fighting drug powered by tobacco. Oh, shit. And yeah. Uh, and so you get in the what opening an evil month, guy. <laughs> yeah. So you get Shut him down. Montage, <laughs> Like this is he's the edgiest edgelord shit I can possibly imagine. Sorry. Yeah. See, again, I feel like I, I'm I'll be unable to describe this, but the tweet that you posted in Slack earlier of somebody using a mini flamethrower to light a bunch of weed into like yes, some yes. sort of vacuum to like shove that across the room. Now I'm just thinking of that tweet, but also just like, and I'm carrying cancer. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. There's like instant hot box of anti-cancer, anti-viral meds. Like, <laughs> It's it's such a it's such a weird thing because it like removes it, it creates such a weird um, like alternate universe politics. That point, like it's like it's not even that we're against uh, like a Castro style regime, but we would be against people using uh, forced labor battalions to harvest tobacco for a fake cancer cure. Uh, and executing people in the streets. That's the that's the thing he's really doing wrong, uh, which is the executions, uh, you know, just just out on the streets. And the entire thing then just starts to feel like, again, it, it, it sort of becomes a an unplace like uh, like Cuban Cuban imagery, Cuban culture becomes like um, a a bit of flavor in this but like there's nothing like it's very hard to see anything here that's like about like specific to cuba like it's vague references to it um you know embargo the fact that a bunch of the cars in the game are you know vintage late 50s cars uh etc um but nothing about it like tracks coherently as any sort of political allegory which is par for the course here like it's always got to go in some weird not even like it's it's the speciest spec fiction, right? Where where it's like it'd be bad if somebody was turning tobacco plantations into fit in the soil and green, or something like that. And that's and that's what you've got. And so the 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 stakes are: you go out there, you immediately get hooked up with the resistance, and then it's like drive around this island, tear down his billboards, and we will take over the checkpoints. And One of sixteen, presumably. And that's the thing. It's and that's the other thing is. The fact that all the Ubisoft games have converged into like one design template uh, with shared like menu language, shared game mechanics, like the whole thing about like liberating regions. Uh, this was already exhausting enough and like Watchdogs Legion uh, here. You're getting a lot of the same stuff. Uh, it it begins to feel like everything has just gotten. Um, it's not just that you've seen the stuff before in Far Cry's. It's that you're seeing it now in every uh, like Ubisoft game, and the entire thing begins to feel really undifferentiated. And it makes um, me so curious to wonder like how how that happens. Like obviously, this is a company that's going through like a bunch of uh, well, not as much probably turnover as like a lot of the folks that in that company would like. But there have been a substantial number of high level executives, um, you know, even on the creative level that have been you know pushed out. Um, as a result of, you know, workers, you know, highlighting things like a lot of good reporting. Um, but like, it makes me wonder, like, do you arrive at a place where you have this template because 
of like institutional inertia in which it's just like, well, when you pitch a game here, you're going to fall in this template because these games need to come out every, you know, X amount of years to fit into the cycle that Ubisoft has. And the best way to do that is, look, we've got like 32 different studios. Each one's got a specialty. We're already good at this. Like this fits in the pipeline. And so that ends up artificially limiting the, like the, the the scope, the possibility space of the new game from the go because you have built this sort of like factory to build these games. People have a specialized process to hit a certain deadline and they're good at doing that. They're also like good at harming their workers too, like as a, as a byproduct yeah, of that. Yeah. But like, you know, uh, and so I just, I just wonder like, is there even a world where like a Far Cry 6 uh, with this sort of is like can get all that radical because there just isn't like a production process in place to allow for like I, I I just you know I'm curious how much of that is like hey games need to be like all the other games because people seem to like that and they do mm-hmm. this game in two days is going to have a press release that says it's the best selling Far Cry ever they're extremely popular people really like them and this is sort of one of those like critic you know commercial disconnects um is like the series gets more popular and that's why they end up getting you know John Carlo Esposito in it yeah um because that only just highlights that expanse even more. But, you know, you got to imagine the people that work on these games, too, also probably have higher ambitions than just, I would like to make another Far Cry for the next three years that fits within the thing that everyone's already seen so that when it comes out, all the critics and, like, my colleagues can go, boy, that just looks like the same thing. Like, I just, yeah, that's, yeah. there's just no way that's where they started. So it just makes me curious how how you end up in that place over. Because even, like, Watch Dogs Legion, right? Like, a game, like, a, with a lot of, a creative notably known for like obviously was pre the Ubisoftification of the Far Cry formula but like Mm -hmm. Far Cry 2 like a game you know a game which like does some interesting stuff within like that kind of structure before it became commoditized so I don't know I'm sort of rambling here but I'm just curious how we arrive at this point if Ubisoft as an institution is even able to break out of that or how or how they do it reminds me a lot weirdly of uh Rihanna's early career where she was touring. Continue, please. Yes. No, she was touring constantly and she was releasing an album literally every year, which means that she essentially would do these huge stadium tours, get in the studio, cut an album in a couple of months, tour on that album at repeat. And, you know, those albums, they all have great songs on them and they all have, they all made millions of dollars and they all had number one hit singles, but they are not really made to be listened to as an album. They're a collection, a compilation of singles. Some of the singles are individual high points in pop culture. Um, I remember Only Girl in the World just being an explosion when it released in college. I couldn't go anywhere without hearing that song, but... The album that she wrote that she worked on for three years is so much better than the work that she did previously. And it took taking time off and not writing music in order for her to actually be able to express herself artistically. Now, it's a competition. All popular culture, mass media is sort of this competition between artistic expression and being able to make something that's marketable and sells. So you can see that friction really intensely here where, yes, you know, like Rihanna's early albums, Far Cry 6 is going to sell. It's going to make a lot of money. It's going to be very popular. But will we still talk about Far Cry 6 in a couple of years? Like, probably not. Number one, because there'll be another one. And number two, because there's not a lot there. Yeah, I think, like, for me, it just it seems also like such a product that is just driven by the needs of coordinating all these different uh, dispersed massive studios where everything has to be 
an interchangeable part. And so every Ubisoft game starts to have, have to draw from these interchangeable like templates that can be sort of slightly adapted to whatever the whatever the game is, but like not very much. And you can sort of see the seams and the creases uh, in all these things as you play more Ubisoft games. Uh, and, the, and the entire thing becomes really undifferentiated because every everyone now is literally just a different stage of the assembly line. And I think it it does, you know, obviously it does. Uh, I, think, I think it works from the standpoint, again, of the people ultimately signing the checks, uh, where the goal is to render a lot of creative output as a commodity, because at a certain scale, what you deal in is commodities, right? Um, and so it ends up in a weird place where you need, uh, you know, you, you need a big name artist, you need a big name franchise, but at the same time, you don't actually care if they are <laughs> creatively fulfilling the, their potential. What you need is an idea of a big mm -hmm. name. Uh, and that's more important than actually maintaining that artistic create uh, like credibility or integrity. Uh, and so it becomes very grudging uh, to ever get those opportunities. And I think in the games industry, um, they, there is no equivalent to a great musician, right? There's, there's, there's not really someone who can sort of pump the brakes on that and use their own leverage and be like, I'm going into the studio for some time. Like I'm taking time. I'm going to work on my shit. Uh, that's not really how the yeah. games industry works. And the entertainment industry doesn't work like that anymore either. Uh, right. one of my, David uh, Grossman, who longtime listeners will know is my boyfriend. <laughs> um, he, uh, <laughs> exactly. God, if you take a shot for every time I mention David on these podcasts, you would die. You would actually die. I just want someone to make a stat sheet of like how long we make it into the podcast before. Yes, before. This might be the first time you've said his last name, though. It's always it's yeah. always just David. So I, it's, I a just, rarer, it's a rarer uh, loot drop that we get the, yeah. the full David Grossman. Congrats to his uh, Dodgers, correct? Oh, yes. Dodgers win last night. I was trying to go to sleep, and I just kept hearing him scream, yes, from the other room. It was so great. I loved it so much. He kept scaring the cat. She would come cuddle with me and just run away at 10 yeah. minutes later. Um, I don't have a feeling about the Dodgers, but fuck the Cardinals. So yeah, like, you that's know? where I'm at. Well, uh, they're going up to against the Giants, which is their long-term rivalry soon. So uh, I... This is going to be a whole series of very tense evenings in the Grossman-Jackson household soon. <laughs> Just want to clarify, David Grossman is not the acclaimed Israeli author, David Grossman, nor is he the Killology guy. He's definitely not the Killology guy. So, uh, I'm wearing this t-shirt that says he is not the Killology guy, and yet people are still asking me questions. I'm actually wearing his t-shirt currently that is a Miami Vice like drip shirt with... Like the, from the Michael Mann That's movie. That's incredible. That yeah. is the tackiest <laughs> thing in history. I love it. It's so cool and you can't get it anymore. So, uh, sorry. But uh, the person who made this shirt is going to make, like, a, I think is going to make more Michael Mann shirts. I will link these to you when they occur. But anyway, David Grossman, why was I talking about him? There's no creative like tensions and like the inability of uh, anyone to sort of check the commodity yes. entertainment. Uh, yes. Complex. So the entertainment industry has changed a whole lot. One of David's like the, one of his pandemic things that he got into was just looking up the production history of the Fleetwood Mac album Tusk. And like every day he would have a new fact about the production history of that album and the amount of money that they spent is truly, truly outrageous. It's gem truly, truly outrageous. It's. 
in 1970s money, it was like millions of dollars to not only hire the marching band from UCLA to do the horn part on Tusk, but to have them play at Dodger Stadium and also record it just for like videotape it at, for all money exquisitely well spent. I, yeah. I have to say that album is an all timer. Of course, it's one yeah. of the greatest. Yeah. The horn section on Tusk was worth it. But now you would not like even the most famous artists do not have the ability to spend that kind of money or take that kind of time or just kind of say, hey, um, student, we're just going to hole up and buy a house by the studio and be here for like a year or two fucking and doing coke. Like, that's just not something that's afforded in even to the most successful artists in the entertainment industry now. And in video games where this there's this off-site and sort of half-truth that people say a lot, which is that games as an industry are bigger than movies. And it's true that economically there is more money flowing into and out of games. But when you look at these major studios, what you see is one failed game has the complete ability to tank a lot of very, very big studios. And in Hollywood, a failed movie does not always tank a studio. And that just says a lot more about how that money is being used and what it takes for a video game company to recoup on the prices of development. So it takes a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think like I think part of it is uh, like creative risk aversion. But I also think there's a degree of after a certain point, a thing is big enough and what you're selling people is reliable and predictable entertainment it does not matter if it's particularly interesting. There, there are clearly people uh, who are like, hell yeah, like I like what Far Cry is doing. I it's a, like it's a Madden series. Yes. Like that's that, yes. I mean, yeah. I think I think part of why I don't blame like Galt for having the reaction. I think I've seen a lot of people like critically have similar uh, uh, reactions to this game in particular as being sort of the breaking point. And I think Valhalla was a similar sort of breaking point for a lot of people on on AC. Um, but I think it's, it's also, th- this is one of those things where like, we'll see like <laughs> where we end up the next time we get to, to the next Far Cry in, in 18 months. But I think like the, the sooner you sort of accept that like these are just sort of Madden franchises in which like the people showing up for them are just like happy with the way it is. Uh, it's, that's unfortunate for like a, a company as big as Ubisoft in which like, I don't know, are, are, is the creative stretching going to happen in a Star Wars game or the Avatar game? Like that's like a little, <laughs> little depressing. At least Far Cry is like slightly homegrown. I know they acquired it from uh, what Crytek originally. Um, um, was it published? Did they own it out? Did Crytek make it under them or did they acquire? Mm. Did they bought Far Cry, right? At some point? I think so. I think so. I think you're right about that, but I, I do not know 100. Bought, I want to say they weirdly bought the IP, and it was like an odd thing for them to do at the time. But anyway, it's, it's all it's all just to say, like I don't know that you know that's lowering the bar, obviously, in a, in a way that I can understand, like rubbing people the wrong way. But I think it's also just accepting like who these are for, why they're popular, and then it just sort of changes how you look at them in in the first place. I can almost see myself enjoying this or a future Far Cry game if I just take <laughs> them at that sort of face value. Like, this is what this is. See, this is where I disagree. For. I don't think there's... See, the, the issue is I'm willing to be a good sport. Like, genuinely, if they'd made Red Dawn, uh, open world Red Dawn, like, I'd be like, look... <laughs> I don't like necessarily the textual material it's working with, but like it fucking rules like that. That part where you're ambushing those convoys of soldiers, that part was great. I loved it. If that stuff was good, I would like find something there to grab onto. Uh, I think for me, it's it's the fact that all the parts are just kind of like, 
eh. It's, I'm, it's I'm, like I'm, parts, I'm with you. I'm, like, I'm and, with and you. that's the thing. Like, I, I, I think, uh, like, I get, like, you know, people can like what they like, but in terms of it, I, I disagree with the notion that it is a refusal to meet these games where they are. I know where they are. Where they are is a hodgepodge of six and seven out of ten games at best uh, thrown together and just hoping that through sheer quantity, um, somehow it becomes more than the sum of those really underwhelming parts. And that's and I think that is the thing that is really, for me, like breaking me uh, on the series and it's probably kept me away from it for a while, which is just that anything this series done it does uh, seems to be done better uh, somewhere else, including within other Ubisoft games. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's just, it's so hard to find anything there to really, uh, latch, latch onto. And it does feel like this one, I think Far Cry 5 salted the earth. People gave that thing a lot of the benefit of the doubt of mm-hmm. like, they appear to be trying to react to a political moment and a sense of the world. Um, and then what that thing turned into kind of revealed that, no, what they want is to be vaguely associated with the state of the world and mm-hmm. current trends. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they're going to sell you the dumbest sandbox possible uh, year in, year out. Um, and it just has to be topical enough for you to be like, maybe this game, uh, you know, th- this game has interests, uh, you know, that that I'm interested in right now. And the answer is it, re- it really doesn't. It's just kind of a, a skin draped over it. Uh, so, what yeah, that's want? that's Far yeah. Cry 6. Yeah, Far Cry 5, it wasn't surprising to me that that game is so hollow, but really, like, when I was I was at Kotaku at the time and talking to Riley McLeod about, um, he, like, used to be, like, a prison chaplain. So, like, talking to him about the religious content in the game and, like, finding songs on the radio that mention explicitly Jesus and belief in Christianity, but then also the dissonance there between that and the actual cultists themselves who don't seem to have any belief system at all. Like, you can't figure out or read what the tenets of their... Like, you join cults not just because of the personality, but because of a compelling belief system that conforms to your preconceived notions of, of, you know, what is wrong in the world. Uh, And this, they don't even try to say that this cult stands for something. They just, they they see it as fundamentally as, as window dressing. And that's when I just realized, like, oh, there's just everything, every time I thought that these games were speaking to me in some way, like, maybe they were, but it seems increasingly like they weren't. Uh, in many ways, I feel like I'm just constantly chasing the high of Watch Dogs 2, which was a great fucking game, and, like, actually did respond to something political and current in its story with the amount of the number of sort of black characters living in the Bay. And it did so very, very well. And I just have no idea what happened to that, Ubisoft, and seems long yeah. gone. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's too specific. It's too, it, it's too edgy. Yeah. Um... The other thing I, I will I will shout out here as well is a few people have mentioned it, um, but the treatment of Spanish in this game really is weird. They made a weird decision. Mm. So this is a Spanish language speaking country, but of course everyone speaks English because it's like you're playing a game for the English speaking market. So you just assume everyone's speaking Spanish, but we're hearing it as English, right? Like pretty standard stuff that like movies in different settings adopt where like, uh, Inglorious Bastards. The German is all all in English, um, so you can you can have these scenes uh, play out and you understand them. The solution that Ubisoft has 
has taken to this. Um, coolest solution to this, by the way, is, of course, um, Hunt for Red October, where everyone's speaking Russian until the camera zooms in tightly on uh, Sean Connery's face, and he says it's time. And then it zooms out, and they're all speaking English now, uh, which is cool. <laughs> Far That's Cry. Awesome. I've never seen that movie. That rules. That moment really rocks. Yeah, that, 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 whole, movie, that whole movie is sweet. Uh, so Far Cry 6 has everyone speaking English, and then throwing in random... Uh, like Taco Bell Spanish. Uh, like, Do they tell it, you to live mas? <laughs> pretty much. It's like, <laughs> man, wh- why are you always bringing these loco ideas to my door? Oh my fucking uh, God. <laughs> and like, hey, cut the shit, hermana. Like just all stuff like that where it's like, <laughs> but they're all speaking, they're all speaking their language. Like, why are we... Why are we doing that? <laughs> Why are we doing this? It's, just it's the a, funniest thing in the world. It's a really like so nobody will say yes. It'll all be like C. Oh, so, um, so, not, so not even like a specific character, like characteristic of like a character. Like oh, this is just a character that's going between the languages or like has like oh they just always you know this is everybody in the game to remind the, the audience you know. They speak Spanish, but you're hearing it as English. Like here's a here's a here's a so, subtle reminder. They're saying everything in Spanish, but saying a word in English. Essentially, in, yeah. In, in theory, if this translation they're, holds, yeah. English <laughs> I, I suppose. Yeah. So like, I, yeah, you're I right, think that's like a like, better way of thinking about it because I feel yeah. like like in, in a lot of Western media specifically, like th- this is how it's handled. Like this is like a this is this is a trope. Like this is this is a way that you, you like you you see this all the time. Um, like how they frame language, but if you if you do if you just didn't think about it in the opposite, it was like imagine someone came up to you and was speaking Spanish, but they just occasionally dropped a, a word of English. How fucking weird that would sound. Yeah, and then I think that gives you a good way of thinking about how this looks. <laughs> and the reason it doesn't feel weird is because you've just been conditioned through media to expect this is how like I mean, the Spanish language is portrayed. The thing oh, is, I could God. even get with it if like occasionally characters went into Spanish because there's like phrases that just don't like translate into idiomatic English. Sure. Yeah, um, and um, I've been around people who speak, other, I don't speak another language. My, I'm trying to teach my, I'm doing the Duolingo Hindi right now because, well, you know, that would be nice. Um, but like, there's been situations where I've been around like other Indian people and it's just like rapid Hindi and then like, oh my God, mom, come on. And then just rapid <laughs> Hindi again. That's real. That's like a yeah. real yeah. phenomenon. But it usually is like specific when it happens, it's not just like everybody in this room is going to say C instead of yes. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Right. And, and it's just so weird that they're going to. By the way, the subtitles always translate the you, word in Spanish. You, like in you parentheses. cannot. So, hey, <laughs> loco means crazy. <laughs> like it, it's like you're Cock- in the middle of this dog shit script and it almost turns God. into a film strip where it was like loco is crazy. Beep. Cock- say it with me. Crazy. Kato is probably loco. knows this absurd anime meme. You remember um all according to Keikaku? Oh, absolutely. That, yes. Yeah, that's just literally what it's it is, though. Yeah. <laughs> well. God. It, it's it's a strange decision. Yeah. I don't I don't like that. I don't like it one bit. Um I feel like the like, the, we, the weird thing about Kaku means plan is that they start from a place where that that word is there, right? Like they start from a yeah. place of translation instead of trying to like this one is like extra worse because they're 
starting a whole cloth from just like, this is how we're going to represent these people um, yeah. and remind you constantly, hey, you're in a different place, even though it's like, okay, so that person just said, like, shut the fuck up, sister, or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, but the sister's in English now. Just, just, just roll with it. Yeah, it's uh, that original meme came from uh, a place of wanting to shame American anime fans for their weird fetishization of the Japanese language, where instead of fully translating anime subtitles, they'll leave just random words in Japanese for no reason, because it's pure to the translation, blah, blah, blah. Patrick has done quite a much a bunch of reporting on this weird phenomenon people have about translation and accuracy. But here it's like they started from the position of we're just going to be weird about Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> and let's roll with it. It, it, like, and it. it comes up at weird moments too where it's so like we say like we saw this in the trailer like the oh, the the little gameplay clip we saw of the opening of the game where uh, like Giancarlo Esposito appears aboard this boat of people trying to escape uh, Yara and he starts by telling, you know, doing the villain monologue thing. And it's got to start with, when I was a boy, me papa, he told me. And it's mm. like, just call him your father, man. Mm. <laughs> like, we don't, you don't need, why are we translating me papa you do. is my father? <laughs> One letter away from being an English phrase is the thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a, it, so it, like, it's just a, it's, it's a weird approach that they take. And again, I, I, I think it's kind of highlights. Cuando yo era un niño, like, mi father. <laughs> it sounds so, so awful. It sounds low-key perverted when you do it with the one English sentence. <laughs> mi father, so, mi dijo. God just got stuck. Damn it. I'm sorry. Mi father. <laughs> So it, it's uh, I, I think it does like again highlight also the degree to which uh, they just don't have a strong idea of what they're doing with their their setting where it's like hey dude Spanish doesn't sound weird to people here it's just it's just the language man and it's like how do we how do we exoticize this uh, we'll take those basic words and uh, have them just sort of randomly interjected as Spanish it's a weird thing. Um, I feel like you could have just hired uh, people who spoke Spanish. To I mean, it's, do the it's hard not here. to think about like <laughs> this game would actually subtitles are pretty good. Mm-hmm. You could probably just run this game in Spanish. It is, you know, that sounds like it would be really, really interesting uh, because of some games we're going to talk about in the second half. I've been playing Control a lot, and you know what? They just simply do not translate, even with subtitles on, Ati, the Finnish editor's speech at all. And he'll just straight up say full on sentences in Finnish, which is an incredibly complicated language with a lot of compound nouns. And they're also all common, like common sayings in Finnish that Americans need like an additional translation after the fact to understand. So this game, but it like yeah. is better. It's like better because it does that. It doesn't because it doesn't hold your hand and like. Well, and also that, like there are fin- the, there's the a universe. lot of Finns telling a joke about Finnish there too, yeah. right? Yeah. Where they're they're kind of like. Yes, we know how we know how we we come across, uh, even to other Scandinavians. <laughs> yes, we are um, a bunch of weirdos that are obsessed with going on vacation. <laughs> um, look, we really do love spa days in, in the forest. Uh, anyway, so that's that's Far Cry Six. Um, I don't know. I, I might uh, see if anything interesting happens with it, but I but but I doubt it. Well. Uh, We'll, we'll see. Uh, Patrick, speaking of games that are, you know, 
as opposed to being commodified, franchises mm. that are treated like uh, precious gemstones, uh, you know, or, or heirlooms that are only brought out of storage uh, very occasionally. You've been playing Metroid Dread. Uh, I have. I finished Metroid Dread. I've got a review uh, up on, on on the site um, alongside uh, Nintendo sent the, the OLED Switch along with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, like a Kato, huge uh, Metroid fan, uh, despite not having played Metroid 1 or 2, like a lot of people that came in on, on Super, Super Metroid. But yeah. it is... Um, it it is the 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 rare Nintendo franchise that I don't think Nintendo does a whole lot of exploiting other franchises comparative to like <laughs> Ubisoft and a, and a Far Cry. Um, all of their series they sort of frequently give them a lot of room to breathe in between installments. Um, in which it'll be three, four, five years before you get another one. But there's always a guarantee. There's another one. It's coming. They're working on it. Um, whereas with Metroid, it's a series that can go <laughs> 10, 15 years between installments, even counting like the occasional weird spinoff, like a Metroid pinball or a Federation force in which they turn it into a multiplayer <laughs> shooter using, <laughs> using the, 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 the stylus on the, on the DS. Not great. Um, uh, and all concurrent with that is, is the fact that, you know, Super Metroid comes out. You know, sort of like begins the this idea of, of of like the big map exploration curiosity game as a genre. Symphony of the Night comes along, mashes that up with RPG mechanics, um, and then you end up with the 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 Metroidvania. And basically, like Nintendo ends up birthing a genre that they creatively inspired, but then sort of walked away from, um, and then occasionally revisits, but. What, essentially what has kept the Metroidvania engine going has not been Nintendo like being at the forefront of like, what does this series mean every five to 10 years? Instead, you have developers, uh, you know, like Team Cherry on Hollow Knight and Cave Story and like all even Dead Cells to, to a certain extent who have like looked at what these games do, what makes them interesting and like pulled them in different directions. You know, like, you know, combat is not particularly good or interesting in any of the Metroid games. It's sort of serviceable or a means to an end. And then you get games like Hollow Knight or Dead Cells that are like, actually, what if made the combat like the focus and it was really fucking awesome? And so, uh, and Nintendo itself sort of like walked away from its original formula with Metroid Prime and said, all right, how do we take Metroid and apply sort of the Mario 64 Ocarina of Time treatment? Like, how do, how do we bring this idea we had into three dimensions and like, what does that do to it? Um, but also still occasionally revisiting it as a 2D game, but in the with a lot of other people along the way having kind of like toyed with the genre they they sort of like came up with or, or kind of coined. Uh, and so Metroid Dread comes at a very interesting time because it is sort of informally called Metroid 5. Um, like occasionally they slap a number on one of these to say <laughs> it's important. Um, it's and part of the this timeline. is one of those. Exactly. Yeah, it's on the timeline. You should care like where where it is. I'm not sure you should care about the lore of Metroid, even as someone that likes Metroid a lot. But, um, and this one is, was developed by uh, Mercury Steam, who did Metroid Samus Returns, a 3DS only, uh, Metroid remake of Metroid 2, which I have not played because it came out in 2017 after the Switch. So most yeah. people fairly reasonably 
put their 3ds away lost the charger and like don't Sold know what happened off, to it honestly like, to buy a yeah I, I gave my 3ds like to my daughter to like throw around her room i, I that's that's what happened to my 3ds <laughs> that's adorable. after that um because i just figured like oh the, all the all the good games are gonna come here but that game was just too far in development and yada yada but it was it was apparently you know really well done um uh, people seem to have really liked it and that same studio was tasked with uh, reviving Metroid Dread, a game that was announced by Nintendo like 15, 20 years ago. I wrote articles when I was like 21 about how it was canceled and announced, um, <laughs> uh, which really deeply, we talked about it in a previous podcast where they announced it, but if you want to watch me just sigh a lot, um, go listen to, to that one. Um, and they revived a sort of old idea, which has been pitched as, hey, this is this is the end of the Metroid saga. This is the end of this arc that was started 35 years ago um and we're going to kind of pivot to the the future of samus and and like what's happening in this galaxy and so it's a it's a game that i in my review i wrote that uh i really liked it with a lot of caveats in that it's just interesting to play a game that is so strictly following a formula because it both respects that formula and like isn't sure what else to do with it. And so it's like, it's like finding its walls, like kind of pushing up against them, but more or less saying, this is our box. We're going to stick in it. Um, and we're really not going to do much different than what you've expected before. So, you know, it is, it is you getting dropped off on some innocuous planet. That's got, you know, rocks at the bottom and weird factory stuff underneath that is nondescript and has lava and ice and other different biomes. Um, in the same way that you get in a lot of different, uh, Metroid games. And on that level, like, it's kind of disappointing because it's like, oh, like, he just made another one of those. But on the other hand, it's like a really, really fucking good one of those. <laughs> and it's like one of those instances where, depending on how much time you've spent playing, like, being upset that Nintendo has not made more Metroid games, so you've just filled that need with all the games around it that have um, flourished in Metroid's, like, frequent absences. Um and if you haven't done that or it still scratches like you're still fine with like that basic formula of like going into a, a kind of a nondescript planet, like getting upgrades that mostly function as flashy keys to unlock doors with colored lights. Uh, this is just like a really, 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 really good one of those. Like in the moment, it's one of the best like playing one of these I have have ever played. Um, and it has all these, as I kind of outlined in my review, all these tiny details that sort of respect the fact that, hey, you've been here before. What's the shit that annoys you about these games? Like one of them, yo, this map is huge. I'm just trying to figure out where the missile upgrades are because I want to collect those and just kind of move on to the next area. And Metroid Dread says, hey, you can just click on any icon or door, any like major object in, in the in the environment uh, in on the map screen, click it and boop. We are going to highlight that across the current map, the other maps that you've unlocked, and it's like you can just figure out what you want to do and kind of cart your course, uh, uh, chart your course uh, to where you're going next, um, and it's stuff like could, that that uh, like, under, like really understands. What, Sorry, huh? You said cart your shorts, and I just I did. You know, I you did. could do and it. Also. I tried. I tried to recover. I'm <laughs> no. glad you got me. No, not um, happening. I will not let you get away with that. You could salute I, my shorts I, too if you'd like. Um, uh, great show, enjoyed it quite a bit. <laughs> uh, that whole Nickelo- Nick Nick block, right? That oh was yeah. yeah, that was a Nickelodeon. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, go ahead. Pete, Sorry. Pete, salute your shorts and Pete and Pete. I believe yeah. were frequently uh, back to back. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then it also tries, you know, it also tries to address like the fact that the, the combat is, is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like frequently sort of a means to an end, a thing that you're just sort of doing either to stock up on energy and missiles again um, or just dodging because you're trying to get to the next area. Um, it, this was introduced in Samus Returns. You have this melee attack, this counter that like all generic enemies in the game have sort of a tell and there's sort of like a flash of light. And if you hit the counter at that time, um, Samus sends them into a tizzy. And if you shoot at them immediately, it's kind of a powered up shot that is usually a one hit kill um, for small and big enemies. And they also drop just like way more shit. So you're sort of incentivized to do it from that perspective. And also it's just more fun. Like it's actually the timing on it is like really satisfying and engaging. Um, and they so they end up giving you more to do as you're just sort of like shuttling your way across the map. And then they also carry that into the boss battles, which, like, I'll be very curious, Kato, when you get around to playing yeah. this and and how you respond. Now, granted, you've played Souls games, and, like, I'm not calling, I don't, I know that's, like, a waypointy <laughs> thing. It's not, I'm not saying these these fights are, like, a Souls game, but I will say that, like, Metroid boss battles in the past, while requiring some thinking, are, are really just, like, how much can you kind of avoid and spam the missiles yeah. and just, like, not die? Like, that's yeah. pretty, like... Metroid boss battles are frequently spectacle. It's like, holy shit, like, look at this giant sprite and then shoot the glowy thing with the missiles until it dies, um, if I'm being, like, very reductionary. And in this game, it's, like, a little more... I saw someone compare it to, like, a, a Ninja Gaiden, like, one mm. of the more modern um, action games in which you are deeply studying the patterns of these bosses Using the mm. extra mobility stuff that you have in Dread, which is like the, the far and away the biggest addition is this, um, I forget what it's called, a flash something, but it's basically a dash. Like you can dash up to three times in a row before you have to give it like three or four seconds to to recharge. And it allows you to go basically from one side of an arena to the other very quickly. And you have to, I mean, these boss battles are like really fucking intense. Like in, this, in the second half, there were frequently times where I've collected most of the energy pickups that you can find on the map. And yet I am coming down to not, I have plenty of missiles, mm -hmm. but like one or one more hit and like fucking dunzo. And so I'm just dashing around shooting missiles wildly, hoping that last one is going to land and trigger the cutscene. And it even does this little thing frequently that is so infuriating, but also like really delicious is like, you'll lock in with the last uh, shot. But then it triggers a like a very brief cutscene, a quick time event where you need to hit like two counters for the actual kill shot to occur. <laughs> and if you don't hit those counters, then you need to hit them with like three or four missiles to trigger trigger that again. And it's just so <laughs> it does it does evoke that that soul's soul sensation of like, all right, hit, you know, get that last hit in. I'm free. And then it turns out, no, like actually you need to hit. And then think about like the UI on the screen for like seven more seconds to get through it. Um I think all that stuff really works. Um, it, it it really brings the 2D Metroid, I think, full circle. Um, I don't know what you could do from here. It is structurally nostalgic in ways that are good and bad, but I don't know that I need to play another one of these. I think this is a, a tremendous one of those. If, if this is narratively saying goodbye to what was started 35 years ago and then hopefully saying also goodbye to how we've done these games in the past. Like, I can't think of like a better swan song for the series to, to go out on. It's still prime. I, well, that's what I mean. Well, yeah. sure. And but I, I, that's what I mean though, is like playing this is like, yeah, that was great. You know what actually like reinvented the series and, and like took it forward was Metroid prime. Right. And so you, you kind of, I kind of can't help but play this. And as much as I enjoy it, and it will probably be one of my favorite games this year because 
these games are my like are my jam. Like I love. I it's hard to get exhausted from from these styles of games. Um, yet my mind can't wander to if it's not Metroid Prime. How do you take this structure that is inherently satisfying, a formula that has lasted nearly forty years without a whole ton of change? Um, what what do you do with it next? And so yeah, I really I really liked it, but it it is one in which it it revels in its nostalgia. Um, for better or, or, or worse, and often better and worse. And all the, the fucking, the Emmys, the robots, the horror bit that they played up really early at the reveal, like, they suck. Like, they're not <laughs> interesting. God they're, damn it. They're really boring. There's seven of them. Um, It's just, it just doesn't really work. Um, That's a bummer. Seven's a lot. Most, yeah. Seven's a big number for something. I mean, they're not, you're not playing them, you know, uh, you know, one after another. You know, it's a game that, uh, the Metroid game, the Metroid series counts time, the in-game timer, strangely. It doesn't count how much time you spend in battles that you lose, and it also doesn't count time that you're in a menu. So it said, like, I beat this game in nine hours. I was like, no, I didn't. Like, lies. <laughs> like, lies up and down, Nintendo. Um, you know, it's probably more like, you know, 12, 13, or 14. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so that's where that's where, that's where where I'm at on Metroid Dread. A, a good game, but one that, that lives in the past, but, but will probably make a lot of people happy. To revisit that past because it's a it was also a pretty good past yeah, is, the, is the headline for the review suggested um i had a question about like the 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 map and exploration structure because because fusion the last one that had a number uh was so different from uh super before it and i was just wondering how that felt like is there a the same amount of guiding like initial like um kind of like map marking as fusion had in it or no, is it like no this game i i've uh, my guess i way. <laughs> yeah here's what i'll say for i think for the first time that i can remember i emailed pr to be like yo here's a here's a screenshot of the map what what next what do <laughs> i what do i do and someone at treehouse wrote back and pointed to the map and i was like oh i didn't know I didn't feel that bad. I didn't, I was like, I didn't realize that the power could, could do that. But no, this is, this is not a game. It's not handholdy at all. Like that's, and that's, that, that's reflected in, I think, the additional challenge mm. of the boss battles. And also, like, if you've played these games before, like, you'll see what they're doing, right? right? Like, you will see, like, I am being funneled. I should just trust that I kind of keep going in the direction that it seems right. like I can go in. And it, it, it is, it will feel like, you can sense the linearity, um, but it is not like Fusion in which it's like, hey, download the map and also here's, here's where to go. The, the go flash, there. no, yeah. nothing, nothing like that. Like you're only you will probably get a sense of it in the same way I did mm. because you have played these games. Yeah. You can recognize the markers. You can see like, oh, they're blocking off like X, Y and Z in this way, which basically means I need to go to the upper left yeah. um, um, or. Uh, oh, there's now some convenient blockage that has occurred be- because of an explosion. Oh, I should probably, you know, use the power that I have, like, on X, Y, and Z. So, like, you'll you'll see those things. But, I mean, the fact, you know, again, like, I've played a billion of these games. Like, I consider myself, like, you're not quite an expert, but, like, well-versed in their tropes. Mm-hmm. And there was still a moment where, like, I spent two, two and a half hours kind of combing through areas over and over again, being like, I don't know where to go next <laughs> um and that won't be an issue when the game's like out wild and you could ask your friends and look things up to kind of point you in the, in the right direction but it made it sort of odd for for me because like i don't or if there's like no in-game hints system. you can't even like ask the your, your, your who's com- the shitty ai uh is the fucking ai body. back adam yeah 
Adam. Yeah, he's here. Uh, he calls uh, you lady once or twice oh, and God then stops. Um, uh, but yeah, no, the, this is this game is not handholdy whatsoever. I, you know, I think you can come to this game fresh to Metroid, yes. but I it's also going to be a probably like a pretty rough landing spot um, a, a, as a first one. But you can definitely come into it. But yeah, it's you'll be I think you'll be happy to know kind of that they don't they don't have like any of that stuff. Yeah, here. I'm excited to try it. I can't wait tomorrow you yeah no i'm yeah i'm excited oh go ahead i was just gonna ask you also mentioned another thing that's happening tomorrow is the the switch oled did they send you one of those they did uh yeah they they sent it with it i played the entire game in it um uh i play my switch entirely handheld like the dock Uh, is um a charging station it is it is not (laughs) something that connects to a tv um and uh, it, I mean, the, the OLED screen looks like gorgeous. It, I mean, it really, if anything, it sort of, sort of like uh, reveals how shitty like the original <laughs> Switch screen is. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, OLED's really nice. Like you've gotten used to it, like because all phones and things like that are OLED. So you like the the pop that you get. Like I don't know, like the first time you saw like what was it, the iPhone four that had what they call the Retina screen. Yeah, it was like, yeah. kind of the first time those like phones jumped. And it was like you. The first time you saw one of those, it was like, oh, my God. Yeah. It was like kind of like seeing a TV in HD for the first time. It's that's not quite this, but it is. Damn, like it looks it looks really nice. Like Metroid is this exceptional showcase because it, you know, it runs at 60 frames a second. It's mm. it's 2D, 3D, like it like the colors and effects really pop off the off the OLED screen Um, that I just f- never felt compelled to ever pop it in a, in a TV. And then I've like since read that, you know, some folks have done. Like the game kind of looks pretty crummy, like docked. Like it doesn't <laughs> jump from 720 to 7, 1080. It just stays at 720. Oh, no. Um, this is probably a game that you may actually just want to stick with. Right. Docked. I, but the counter to that is that the game is so mechanically dense and uses so many of the, like every button on the controller and like you kind of like futzing your fingers in weird directions to make it work that I think a lot of folks are going to want to like use a pro controller, which I right. guess then you could. You could you could stand it up, yeah. you know. Um, you can also get um, one of those hoary things. The hoary, th- I think the, people are going to are like, yeah. They're basically two halves yeah, of think... a pro controller that you stick onto the exactly, switch itself. exactly, <laughs> which I don't think fits on the new switch. I, I want to say some Wait. accessories are broken. Oh, really? By, uh, the the new model. I was wondering um, what I, I thought the, the Joy Cons are, are interchangeable, right? Yeah, I, I I might be wrong on that specific one. Mm-hmm. I know I've just seen some tweets that are like X, Y, and Z don't suddenly. Like don't work um, with the like slightly different uh, build of the of the right. Switch OLED. Yeah, I mean, I, I've have not messed with it other than that. Although that's like the one thing, right? Like it, there's what Ethernet in the new dock. There's yeah. a better kickstand, but I held the the thing the whole time. It, you know, if you can get a good deal for your old Switch, like it's not a terrible upgrade. I don't think the Switch Pro or whatever they call it is coming like anytime soon like i think it's going to be like a, a hot minute before we get like that real upgrade and so this isn't a terrible one if you use your switch a lot especially in handheld mode um but mostly for me it's like kind of like i played it and it was like it just makes me want the steam deck right more it's like ah like look at this nice screen and a game running at a reasonable frame rate which is the opposite of how like most of my switch experiences <laughs> have been like especially in the past year um but yeah, and especially if you're buying one new, like there's just like no reason to get the like p- pay whatever premium it is. Like the screen's that good that you would right. that this is what you would want for another two, three years if you know depending on how long Nintendo stretches stretches things out. 
But All right, that is Metroid Dread and the uh, new OLED Switch. Sounds like it's not quite there in terms of. I mean, so for me, I'm the opposite. I'm like, if I want to play this stuff, usually I'm playing it uh, hooked up to the dock because everything is just now like entombed in the AV receiver, yep. and I can't, <laughs> I can't go into Shelob's layer of of the cables anymore to get in anything. Uh, so I've I've made my portable system distinctly unportable uh, at, at this point. Um, so congrats to me, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it also sounds though like if you want to be getting a good price on an old switch, like you better move soon because I suspect the value of that thing will decline uh, steeply as the stuff uh, comes on. Yeah, I imagine a lot of people are going to be offloading um, their their old switches, especially if you've you know somehow have it on an, an earlier firmware, which then makes it extremely hackable and like doubles and triples in value. <laughs> Maybe you can there's like collector douchebags though that like they're incredibly sure. valuable. Like, you know, you could corner the market on launch switches if uh if you're willing to make it worth my while <laughs> and uh, just drive that price up. Uh all right, we'll be back in a moment. Uh after after a break, we're gonna be talking about uh a new announcement about Destiny and then we're gonna be getting into Alan Wake remastered. Uh, so stick around. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Uh, So, Gita, you have been playing, well, it sounds like you've been drinking deeply uh, (laughs) from the cup of, from the cup of coffee uh, that that is Remedy's creative output. Uh, and so you've been playing a bit of Control and Alan, Alan Wake Remastered. Well, and also um, I believe I saw on Twitter this morning, like, ah, I bought Max Payne. <laughs> yeah, okay, so the Max Payne thing also came from just remembering there's a rat with a Desert Eagle in that game. I yep. gotta see what that shit's all about. Mm-hmm. Rat with a Deagle, baby. <laughs> That's pure magic to me. Oh. Yeah, I, um, I... Had no Vita from Remedy. I knew her through a mutual friend in college who also grew up going to inter- international schools. And we became like real friends before, or like acquaintances in the gaming industry before she joined Remedy. So I, you know, talked to her. And then as soon as I got the official PR announcement that this remaster was coming, like a, a something unlocked inside my brain. And I was like, okay, full Remedy entertainment, just complete. You need to you need to play all of these like literally right now. You have to do it. And um, I even played a little bit of Quantum Break, which is it's great. And then you get to those live action sequences and you're like, this is so much unreality that I can't actually mentally comprehend. 
it tonally, I figured out what it's similar to. And in the same way that Quantico wanted to be a prestigious television show, but Priyanka Chopra's The Fame Whore Tendencies were too strong to be contained even within that that narrative. Uh, it's tonally the same thing is very clear in the prestige section, like the prestige television show sections of, Qu- of Quantum Break, where it's like this wants to be one thing, but it's being filtered through so many other things that it comes out and it looks like I'm watching um, a television show made by people who have heard of television, but it's, not seen it. <laughs> it's an exquisitely weird it's so object. Weird. It's so like, worth pl- it's so worth playing, though. Like, I got to play it. it. It's it, Quantum Break is like, I. I it's certainly not the best remedy game, but it didn't get, it, it, you know, it's underrated. Like it, it yeah. didn't get played nearly enough because it was such a strange object. And it like was this game that came out when Microsoft was making a big entertainment push. And it was like, yeah, we need this game to be a movie game. But then like very quickly, from what I understand, like of that game's development, it was like all of a sudden Microsoft was like, yeah, so we're not, you don't want to do that anymore. Um, <laughs> and so we don't really have the money to give you to like, like finish the thing like the way you would you know those actors it. you were gonna use mm-hmm. how about you keep them for like mostly the digital sequences like mm-hmm. in engine and then like the tv part um you like fmv games uh do, do you <laughs> like do you like character actors uh that people don't know uh then <laughs> then yeah, have at fair. it you know, Courtney Hope, who plays Beth Wilder in Quantum Break and also Jesse Faden in Control, she's on The Young and the Restless now, and that completely makes sense to me. Like, Dang. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's doing, like, really, really well Good in terms of... Yeah. I think she's fucking great. I would love to see her on, like, a CW show somewhere down the line. Yeah. Like, she has... Com- she's a genre of actress that the world truly does need more of, which is a pure television actress, and she's clearly just down for whatever. It's great. The Quantum Break thing does remind me of, um, I think something else that worked against that game is that because their budget was so compromised for like building sets and like showing anything in the the video sequences, right? That it compared super poorly to the amazing shit you see in the game part. Because Remedy's really good at making these like hauntingly gorgeous, like crystalline clear visions of like sci-fi and like you know dark magic shit and then you go to the video sequence where it's like uh so we basically like shot this in a subdivision uh in like near near manhattan beach or something like that our own office in finland is what it really feels like most of the time yes yes And um, I've done a whole bunch of, like, I majored in cinema studies in college. I know that you make do with what you have. And sometimes you can make a dorm hallway look a lot like something else. And sometimes it just doesn't work out like that. Um, and this is one of the times when it did not really work out like that, which is kind of too bad because the 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 video that they use for control and the stuff that is sort of seeded throughout Alan Wake, also the, the actual footage of the actors there is really, really good. And works very, very well with the gameplay that you play. It does not create that dissonant effect between the game looking way more interesting than the actual real footage part. Walking through these projected images and control is like an incredibly, it's like a self-contained metaf- metaphor for what video games are. And also just looks really good. <laughs> like, yeah. um, But now- I, I do think Control yeah. is also a game that is going to school on years of like, Finally, the studio is like, what if we stay? What if our reach stays within our Mm -hmm. grasp? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, what if what if we don't do this again uh, to an extent? Whereas I think 
like Quantum Break is obviously this transitional thing uh, where also it's like maybe episodic gaming could be the future and it'll mm-hmm. be like transmedia, but all in the game. But I think you you insert a chart, of course, back to like a lot of this charts, of course, back to Alan Wake itself. Right. Which yes. is also an episodic structure, but it, it was always one game. Yes. And so it was like an L, open world like, game at one point of yeah. which the, <laughs> the like remnants of our I haven't played the remastered version, but I remember playing it the, the you know, the first time being like, wow, you could really tell they chopped this up to try, you know, to fit it into the box that they created for it. Like four yep. years into development and they realized, ah, well, you know, can't do it's. This. It's so funny talking about Alan Wake because even now in this conversation here, you can't actually talk about Alan Wake without talking about Alan Wake. Like that is like so the experience of playing this game and specifically this remaster also because you you the game opens up with a, literally a quote from Stephen King about the nature of fear. And then Alan Wake says, my name is Alan Wake. I'm a writer. And that's everything you need to know about what you're going to experience encapsulated in one or two moments. But then also... It's like it's Alan Wake is a game about a writer who with writer's block written by a guy who uh, just had a series of games that were incredibly successful that got sold to Rockstar and is writing about having a writer with writer's block. And it's just like it's this endlessly recursive object. It's impossible really to to look at it and experience it if you have even if you haven't played the original without immediately thinking about what it was like for this game to come out at the time that it did and be immediately overshadowed by Red Dead Redemption which came out on the same day. Uh it's Dang. Yeah, it, you know like I forget that that happened concurrently. I'll tell you which happened, one I'd rather play. At the same time. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what? We, uh, we we replayed Red Dead Redemption. We didn't replay Alan Wake. We didn't didn't love should, it past yeah, it. Like, didn't no, make, it didn't, didn't make the right choice, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we couldn't replay Alan Wake for a while. It was it was an Xbox exclusive, but it came out in 2010 and like 3 years later that console cycles over. Uh, and it also, you know, it didn't get like the huge splash that it needed to upon release. So people, it did get sort of a long time cult following, but it didn't actually, you know, it, once people moved on to the PS4, most people who play games couldn't play Alan Wake at all. And it eventually made it to Steam. But then for about a year between 2017 and 2018, it, uh, was unavailable to buy on Steam because of issues with music licenses. Uh, all that original (laughs) license music is in the remaster. Thank God. But Although, like, it's so weird. They also waste it. Yeah. Like it's amazing that if like, I want to hear this Nick Cave song, I have to stand by this radio <laughs> to hear it off of one speaker on oh my, my TV where it's like it's you're you basically you're holding a cell phone up to your ear. Someone else's cell phone up to your ear yeah. and being like, yeah, this is this is good mood music. Yeah, uh, it it, it's so weird. The collectible screen and control where they clearly know that you want to keep walking when you listen to one of those radio shows and you don't want to just sit there and listen to it. This like if there's any aspect that I want in this game, it's literally just that, which is not really there. Uh, The remaster, though, playing it, it's shocking how modern the game feels. That's what I keep coming back to. Like before, I'm just like trapped in this uh, hole of recursive thought. (laughs) I just think about Wow, like this game feels like it literally was developed to come out this year, literally. It's very fun. It's very tight. It's really well written. Just thinking about it in terms of uh, it's modeled after a TV show. Each act really does have the structure and like a, a, the necessary B-plot conflict that a TV show would have. There's such a discreet sense of 
beginning, middle, end to each chapter, that when you get the previously ons and like sort of a, you know, the you know, the alleyway credit sequence thing, it feels like a very natural conclusion to what you have just, the sequence you have just played through. And it gets you fired up to keep going. Like yes. they actually, this is the thing, like it shows if you get the episode structure right, the episode ending gives a kick to the story that you're like, oh shit, like yeah. the stakes just got raised. Yep. I'm going to play, I'm going to keep playing. Um, it's and bingeable. Like, yeah, and like playing playing this honestly alongside like uh, fucking with Far Cry Six a little mm-hmm. bit, but also it, more than that, it reminded me how much I miss like level design in this in in this respect, where like every moment is kind of sculpted and cultivated, and mm-hmm. you create a sense of so th- this whole game largely takes place in this uh, like isolated part of Washington State. Uh, it's all like uh, temperate rainforest, uh, you know, uh, you know, conifer trees ever, everywhere. Um, but the thing is, most of what you do is you're going through pretty prescribed forest trails. Like you are going through the the path of the level. But something that really struck me is how well it creates a sense of you're isolated in this huge, like sprawling forest and you are alone in the woods at night and coming to this after so many open world games that like just give you the forest, but also there's no interesting path to go through it. So like the forest becomes kind of just a boring transitional space that you pass through on your way to your next objective. Whereas this feels much more like the experience of actually walking in the woods because like they play those good level design tricks of like, um, you'll catch fleeting glimpses of the thing you're trying to get to, which is usually some illuminated safe spot during the night uh, because you're being chased by creatures that thrive in the darkness. If you can just get to well-lit areas, you're safe. But they, they play the, they, they play those tricks uh, of like showing how you're navigating closer and closer to your objective. Um, but overall, this sense of the forest closing in on you, and even though the the bounds of it are very small, like if you push off the trail, it won't be long before you walk into an unpassable brick, uh, cliff face or uh, come to an unfordable river. Uh, but I think it still ends up feeling much like wilder and foreboding uh, than a lot of games that like literally say like, hey, here's a huge open uh, natural environment for you to explore. Mm-hmm. Here it's like, this does a better job of making me feel like I'm an out-of-shape writer being hunted through a yes, forest. Yes, God. His, the amount of time you can run before he starts panting is very funny to me because it's about as long as I can run. <laughs> you know? Like, he gets uh, like yes. a sprint for three seconds and yeah. then you're like, all right, we're booking it. And then you start hearing him wheeze. And oh, it's just like, like, you should have quit smoking earlier in life, huh? Yep. <laughs> I feel like I know this guy. Maybe it's because I've just been a New York media person for too long. But like I feel like I've met <clears throat> many people in my life that have mistaken wearing a tweed jacket for a personality. So it's, you know, it's, I made the joke that Alan Wake is just basically as a character, please stop, don't email my wife, just like the man. <laughs> yeah. You, well, I, and I, I do love that the sheriff, when you're being hunted uh, by the police, uh, the monsters are killing the cops. And the cops are like, I think Alan Wake is, is slaughtering us. And she's like, he's a, are you kidding? He's a writer. He wears a tweed jacket. Like, get a grip. 
really, 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 really funny. And we deserve it. We deserve all these owns. It's, well, and yeah. but I, but also I think like I am struck here by how charming I find all of this, and I do wonder: are we better positioned now to appreciate? I don't know. It's this is a strange thing. I feel like there's. I've always been kind of like someone who's charmed by Remedy Games, even though they from from the jump shared kind of this love of self-referential bullshit, Mm -hmm. uh, like loved painting in broad strokes. Uh, So I've always been like susceptible to this. But even like coming back to this, I'm still like. This really does work for me. Like yeah. the fact that the game lampshades the broad character archetypes it's playing with, but then is like, but you like these archetypes. And I'm like, I do. Well, it adds but depth you know. to them in small details, you know, like reading Alan Wake's actual writing. That to me makes his character feel more alive as a writer than anything else you could put in him as sort of a broad character archetype as a as a disgruntled gruff writer with writer's block. Because you get to have a sense of like Oh, Alan Wake talks a big game, but he's also full of shit and he doesn't even know that he's full of shit. I'm able to talk about him like a man, like a person that he I feel like I'm kid I've met at parties in my lifetime because <clears throat> the specificity of these little tiny things are so accurate. Like in the Alex Casey excerpt, we'll reread of him where um, the character describes their blood in the snow as a gruesome slushy. It's like both an incredibly cliched phrase. And a very stupid way of phrasing that. But you think in your head, like, yes, I can imagine this man writing this and thinking that this is evocative. And it is evocative. It is also horrible. Like, this is a, this is like, they dare, Remini dared to ask, what is like Dean Koontz just like as a guy? What's he like? <laughs> well, it's, but I think the other part of it that gets so funny too, though, is it's also like, explicitly about, and this thing I've never been sure how to navigate. Like, to a degree, it's also, um, is this a studio and is it specifically like Sam Lake wrestling with the limits of their creative output and expression, right? Like this, the, like the, the opening of this is, uh, you know, somebody basically calling you out, like a character basically, uh, you know, breaks the fourth wall in a dream and is like, you know, you're a shitty writer, right? Like this is, <laughs> yeah. you're a hack. This is all trash. Yeah. Um, and, I wrote poetry, bitch. I know what this is. <laughs> yeah, and this is a character who, like, he made the Alan, like, even the excerpts of the Alex Casey books, they're narrated mm-hmm. by James McCaffrey, uh, mm-hmm. the voice of Max Payne. Like, oh, and guess who's the face of Max Payne? Literally Sam Lake. Yeah. You know? And so you do have these these layers of, like, this is a guy who's like, I think I, am I, am I shit at this? Like, is, is this stuff crap or is it good? People like it. It's popular. Mm-hmm. But is it good? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And then the framework of the game is he's had a huge success. He's been given a pretty large check to embark on something new and he's choking it away. Right. Yeah. And that brings us back to that point Patrick made about like, yeah, they for a minute they were flirting with what if we just created an open world. Alan yeah. Wake. They spent they spent a long time. They had showed an off trailer. Alan Wake yeah. as an open like you can go see like early versions like. So in some, you know, I don't, I don't know how much there's an analog one to one on like, <laughs> but like you can see an identity crisis of 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 Remedy as a studio, which like, mm-hmm. oh, right, like these bigger worlds, like we'll just take our storytelling, put it in a bigger place, like that'll be the path forward. And what they ended up doing was, well, actually, what if we just, you know, do it? You know, there's really not a lot of dissimilarity between 
Max Payne and Alan Wake in terms of like structure um, mm. of, of like what you're doing as a player. Um, and they ended up falling back to that and then sort of like folding in some of that like internal fail state into the narrative, um, which is interesting. Yeah, uh, I was watching the super good like short 20 minute documentary uh, called War Stories from I think Ars Technica. Um, where it was just like an extended interview with Sam Lake about the develop the t- sort of tortured development process of that game, where he just really says at a certain point, like four years in, it was too many cooks in the kitchen and we had too many ideas and we had to just sit for two months, like the core creative team with the, what we had and figure out what the fuck this game was because we just didn't really know. And after two months, like the next three years of development was more or less starting up from scratch and trying to save as much of the things that they could save before, but but really just overhauling it because now they had a cohesive narrative direction. Um, you know, video games are made by a lot of people. A lot of people do all the kinds of writing and then, you know, all the incidental writing and phrases are all written by someone. Uh, but Sam Lake is like creative director and he's been at the studio since Death Rally, their literal very first game. So saying that these games feel authored by him or influenced by his experiences, what little we know of them, feels more accurate than in other situations. And here it does, I mean, like, there's a certain point, last year I was playing, there's also video commentary on the remastered version. There's not just video commentary that from the peep from Sam Lake now as a 50-year-old guy, um, but from when the game came out, like 25 or whenever it fucking came out, I don't know. Uh, I hope it's not 25 years ago. Uh, how old am uh, I? <laughs> what a towering technical achievement it would have yeah. been, though. Uh, no, I think it's really 2000, cool. 2009 or 2009. Right, yeah. Okay, so yeah. a while ago. You know, I have to finish. I have to change something in a draft, actually. That just reminds me. Because um, <laughs> I don't know how to count. Um, but it just seems like... You know, I'm sitting there, I'm playing Alan Wake with video commentary, which is really just like a little box, a little picture of Sam comes up on the screen and then you hear his audio as you play it's when you hit certain segments of the game and he'll describe to you a part of the thought process that went into the creation of that chapter or that moment or just in general what the game is trying to say and they, they pick really try to pick moments where you can just sit your park your keister down and listen to what he's saying and you know because the next moment you step forward it's going to trigger a new dialogue it's going to be combat etc etc and this will be too confusing um but there's also the the the, uh, the commentary he did from when they originally did this game, and it's just like okay, so I can sit in here listening to this man write about talk about writing, being a writer, and then I can flip back to an earlier version of this man talking about writing a writer, and it just feels like there's no way to get away from the personal aspect of this game here, which is what makes it so intriguing because Sam Lake is a human being. In terms of anything related to not game development, he's pretty opaque. You know, you're not going to... He seems very uninterested in sharing any aspect of his personal life with the people who play his games, which is absolutely his prerogative and probably very sane. But there is something, uh, sort of a, a ineffability at the center of this game because of that. And so you keep trying to find the thing. But what you're really looking for is Alan Wake. You're just looking for it again and again and again and again over and over and over again so many different stories of how this game came to be that are all equally valid and there's a there's a weird something else that's changed too is that i do feel like it has had a chance to move a little bit beyond cult hit status 
in part because like control was so well received and control ends up being part of an extended Alan Wake universe. And even in this game, they've got QR codes now. <laughs> what, a, what a touch. There's QR codes all over this game where you read them and they link you to like unlisted YouTube videos that are uh, the videos of Alan Wake that they shot in the control era. Uh, where he's still in his like little writer's fugue, uh, still writing up a storm uh, as he's possessed by uh, the darkness, but but also being held prisoner uh, by the types of forces the Bureau of Control is is trying to wrangle. And so there's also this element of where before Alan Wake, Alan Wake was structured like we're going to imply a sequel. We're never going to be able to deliver it. So this thing ends up being kind of a weird artifact uh, that's not going to have that kind of resolution. Now it's looped all the way around. And now in this remastered version, they're once again teasing like, hey, this character in this franchise has a future again. Uh, we're we're doing it. Um, and so that's that's another interesting thing that has changed. There's like a they, they've been taking a really light touch with this remaster. Like, I think it still authentically looks um, consistent with its uh, original version. It resembles the PC version a lot. Like I think if you played that, I don't think you'd be blown away by the changes in remastered, but it's like, it's just a much nicer, but still consistent version. Uh, it's still consistent with the like uh, 360 version that existed. And the difference now is that context has changed. And once again, it can be like in the end, Alan Wake one. Right. <laughs> like it may, it may not be a huge victory. Like uh, control may still be like remedy may still be like an overachieving double A studio in a lot of ways. Well, they're, and they're uh, on. And that's what makes like like the context in which Alan Wake 2 and, and I mean, they're doing a bunch of stuff. Like I, I fully expect we're going to get Alan Wake and control games out of this. And um, as they build all this little this left for control, I've got my cat like when whenever that <laughs> when they take the covers off that I'm in. <laughs> Um, We're all squatting up. It's just like fascinating because this comes at a time in which like the control that goes a a weird way. Like, I don't know that we have remedy anymore or they're bought. Right. Like they they get purchased by. Well, Microsoft probably doesn't do it. I I think there's still some some bad uh, blood from from that experience where they were kind of like a second party studio over uh, uh, Quantum Break and how poorly that went. Um, there's a lot of lifers at Remedy and like that relationship is n- not what it used to be. Um, but it just seemed like that studio was going to be in a pretty bad place of control <clears throat> didn't, didn't pan out and, and it did. And so the idea that they're going to bring back Alan Wake into this fold because they come up with this narrative that conveniently allows them to kind of like fit them, fit them into this universe that's become a little more popular than Alan Wake itself. Like who are they writing like Remedy as a studio, like on the precipice and then, Seems to have been saved. They have like a ton of shit going. Like they have a lot of stuff going going on that's announced and, and unannounced. It's like a really exciting time for that studio. Um, so they're like, who is Alan Wake? Like, if if like it's just interesting to think like, how are they writing that character? What is the arc of that character? Come and I, and I granted it'll probably be like shared with Jesse Faden in some degree. So it's not just Alan Wake like carrying the burden of of whatever goes forward. But I'm just curious, like if Sam Lake is an extension. Uh, if, if Remedy is an extension of Sam Lake and then like like Alan Wake is an extension of Sam Lake, like and this is, as you said, uh, Aguita, like he's not really someone like really talks all about like his personal life. And like we don't feel like you get a ton of that. But Alan Wake feels like the closest maybe that we get to like a little bit of like 
who is Sam Blake and his like insecurities and seeing them reflected in, in a video game. Like, like where are we at? Like, cause you're getting this weird meta layer of like multiple, multiple like commentaries that are like multiple decades of talking about a thing. And also now you get to revisit that thing. Not as a, just as remaster, but like a sequel that is probably radically different than whatever you were envisioning when that first game was, you know, kind of put to bed. It's just like, they're all sorts of remedy is such a unique studio because of the, their creative output. And like, that just makes me really excited to see like what they're, what do they want this character to say? Like what, what are you going to do with this character and how they feel? And also just how that character lands differently now than it did, you know, in, in 2009. This is not just like another retread of the gruff prestige television protagonist, right? This is now what just, what feels like a discreet character. He's not just another shitty man that is referencing a bunch of other shitty white men that we've seen in media. This feels like a specific guy with specific goals because there's just a lot more different kinds of protagonists now in video games and beyond. Uh, Alan Wake was, I think, un, like difficult to differentiate him from other video game protagonists when this game came out uh, in like 2010. I think 2010 had a dearth, uh, or not a dearth, an opposite of dearth, uh, abundance of white yeah. brunette guys with beards. Yeah, you, yeah, you look. Yeah, you look at the the box art of Alan Wake put up a bunch against a bunch of other ones. It's like, okay, well, Alan just looks like an an AI algorithm, just like spit out a bunch of these. Hang teams. on, Alan's the only one who could have passed a steroid test. <laughs> <laughs> wow. True. How did Kumail Nanjiani get big? <laughs> what a mystery. Um, but it it is. It is interesting to me because the question of where does this go is actually not obvious, <laughs> you know, because I feel like a lot of the time I play games, games that are especially games that are very referential in the same ways that Remedy's games are, where you will find Easter eggs that show you the literal exact influence that they're drawing upon, but they're also able to remix and reflect this stuff back at you so that in a way that makes it feel wholly new. Where I can't just figure out the plot beats ahead, you know, like I can do a lot of the time. Like, there's not very many stories that exist in the world. Like, everything kind of boils down to some seven Greek plays, but uh, there, there's also like a tendency of video games to follow so the same kinds of plot points just because of the way that games are structured. And Remedy makes an effort to embrace the gaminess of their games, but also give you new narrative and gameplay experiences that that feel really transportive. And I think like that that is always the thing that makes me so excited about Remedy. Like even just seeing a game that they've made re like lovingly remastered, it's just like, I literally don't know what to expect here. That feels really thrilling. Well, and I think there's something more. So like one of the, I think maybe the best chapter in Alan Wake, there's a point where midway through, um, he wakes up in, uh, not quite an asylum, but it effectively is. But he's basically been like uh, he's being cared for by this this Dr. Hartman. Uh, and Dr. Hartman is this like evil, manipulative character who's like gaslighting all his patients into thinking they need him to uh, both solve their issues, uh, but also to unlock their creative potential. And it's real that what he really sees himself is, as is a producer. He'll take all these people from different media and disciplines and like bend their vision and output to his. The irony, of course, he's a character without vision. He's he's a, he's a void. Um, and this is a character I think you end up whacking in uh, control. Actually, in the last expansion, uh, you see what he's become uh, after he gets his just desserts. Um, but the thing is, like at the time, it was like yeah, well, we're getting really on the nose. But I think it's one of those things that 
with the advantage of like how the industry has moved uh, since then to our point, we're discussing like the commodification of the process, like the things that Alan Wake, the game is really anxious about the fact that like what is what is left to individual expression in a collaborative art form that is becoming increasingly corporatized and commodified, what is left to us and the individual creative desire um, in the end, like, you know, the, the beat might be a little bit ham handed as it's carried out, but at the same time, the anxieties that Alan Wake is playing with at that point proved to be well-founded uh, for, for a lot of the industry, right? Like it's remedy does kind of literally go running screaming uh, out of, out of that uh, arrangement. And you compare that to uh, you know, what, what, what exists in a lot of the AAA space. And it's like, okay, Alan Wake was maybe slightly more, more insightful or, or uh, called a better shot than we gave it credit for. And the fact that, you know, to this point of Remedy's games still feel like they're different from other stuff. They are not uh, trying to file off their uniqueness it's it's allowed to be a little bit weird and a little bit out there and so i think playing alan wick now i'm just like this is utterly charming like i love this even though it's not perfect obviously but like i i understand why people hate the combat where it's basically like how well can you juggle crowd control tasks with this flashlight and the boy he he handles like a truck like he is i fell off so many narrow planks yesterday to running from haunted birds <laughs> well and every time he dodges the camera swoops around like he's as disoriented as you are and so like every time you use dodge it's like i gotta figure out where everyone is when you when you get the slow-mo thing when the camera pulls back and you see enemies approaching you you your character actually keeps moving so when the camera comes back i'm always just like where am i going <laughs> and then i yeah. die <laughs> and so I, I get the things that people sort of butted up against uh with this but at the same time i'm playing it and i'm like this is different it's its own thing uh, and even more than I did at the time, I think I enjoy that. There's still parts where I just find myself roaring uh, at just how corny it gets. There's a point where um, this book, this book, this, this game is so touchingly dedicated to Stephen King in places that it just cracks me up. There's a point where Alan Wake is attacked by like haunted pipes and mm. like grates. And after this happens, he's like, I couldn't help but think of my favorite author, Stephen King, and all the inanimate objects that had come to life in his story. In, in his stories, <laughs> it was, horror, horror is horror is fun, but this wasn't fun. It was a nightmare, and I'm just like, Mwah. beautiful, Alan. Thank you. Great work. I got to a puzzle one time. His eternal monologue is so funny to me. <laughs> I got to a, a puzzle where I had to move like a platform, you know, it shows up in lots of different kinds of games. And Alan was like, I needed to get to the other side of the mineshaft to, to get out to get out of here. Perhaps machinery could help me with my task. I'm like, perhaps, Alan. <laughs> like, maybe. That and then in, right in the beginning, you meet. OK, so there's also because this is a game for a bunch of Finnish people. There's two uh, metal musicians who are voiced and uh, 
whose musical is voiced by Finnish band Poets of the Fall, who show up in the beginning. And they're they're crashy old people and they're at the diner and they want to put the Lime and the Coconut song on there. And the other one gets really mad because they're like, you always play this song on a jukebox. And all I could think about was Tim Faust's article from Vice about going to the bar Rockarola and playing The Boys Are Back in Town for until he got kicked out. <laughs> I, I yeah, it, there's just something that there's like, I've been thinking a lot about in playing this, this game specifically, been thinking about like what makes... What makes stuff that is kind of corny, what makes it so good also? Like, where is the line on the sort of the, the, the what was too corny for me and what is just corny enough that the aspects of it that are a bit silly or a bit, I don't know, on the nose or ham handed that when that makes it more fun? Like Twin Peaks is uh, like everything about it that people like really is really deeply corny and influenced very specifically and self-consciously by soap operas um to the point that they use a lot of soap opera actors use a lot of soap opera type music Uh, the angela badalamenti score is absolutely influenced by soap operas and there's like a vaseline filter over most of the first season um where uh that is the stuff that people don't understand that Twin Peaks is doing when they say we like stuff like Twin Peaks. Like that's the stuff that shows up in in Alan Wake more so than just references to the log lady, essentially. It's uh the the Bright Falls feels like half a step out of reality because everyone's acting like it's a TV show and you're the only normal guy. <laughs> um, but it's it's really just about like finding moments of truth in something, you know, Pauline Kale trash art in the movies where all the dramatic stuff she doesn't like because it doesn't feel like real people have these emotions but all the weird stuff coming out of france like the 400 blows she likes because it it touches on an experience that's real even if the movie is meandering and does not you know conform to conventional narrative standards you know there's just you know it's easier i think with horror inflected stuff because your reaction to fear is very very genuine i get spooked playing this game not as much as other games that are trying to spook me more but there is something really haunting and anxiety inducing about the atmosphere and so i feel more open to taking things as they come in general but even outside of the horror framework especially in that lodge scene where people just sit around talking about the nature of creation i'm just sort of like yeah man like these are all real or the, the romantic tension that Alan and his wife have where she's desperately trying to help him b- yeah. be able to be a writer. And she he just rejects that help so strongly and so vociferously, even though he knows that it's what he needs. That feels that's a relationship problem that multiple people have had, you know? Well, yeah. And the, and the thing that like so much of what is driving him on this quest too is the sense of guilt over like their last conversation was him sort of lashing out because he's frustrated with himself and he just didn't, he was in that mode where he didn't want to be helped and he acts poorly. He's shitty and unsympathetic. And that turns out to be the moment he loses her. And this like sets, sets him off on this, on this really deep level. Um, yeah, I think I think all that stuff uh, mostly works. I have one weird question. Were the cutscenes choppy as hell for you? Not for me. I'm on okay. PS5. I'm on PS5 as well. They're they're kind of chunking for me. It's real weird. No, I played a chapter yesterday and cutscenes all came through beautifully. No idea what that's about. Um, I have had. Have I had any technical problems? I actually don't think I have. So. The before yeah. pre-release, there were some issues with audio sync, but the release patch, like it's been fixed. So who cares? Yeah. <laughs> um, but now it's, it is like, 
really, really remarkable to me how they've updated the game to look as good as how I remember it looking while also looking definitely better than what it looked like at the time. Yeah. I don't know how they reached into my brain and understood the cultural memory that everyone shares of what Owl Wake quote unquote looks like and translated that to reality, but they really did do it. Um, so that's one thing sort of being brought back from the past so it can be appreciated and enjoyed. Some studios go the other direction. Uh, Kato, do you want to fill me in here? On what's going on with Destiny? Because sure. it seems like they're it, it seems like they're montresoring a bunch of Destiny content now. Yeah, I mean they did this before, back when um, what's it called? Uh, Beyond Light came out. Um, yeah. That's when they introduced the concept of putting things back in the old Disney vault. Uh, basically, the the argument was that the game had grown to a size that was no longer uh, sustainable. And they had to get rid of older content in order to bring new content in. Uh, so we lost the original, like you cannot play the original Destiny 2 story anymore. There's nowhere to play it. Uh, doesn't exist. Uh, you can't, uh, anything from that first year, actually, all of the, all of the, including the two DLC that came after that, all gone. Um, there's got a couple planets and, um, they're now they just announced today that they're doing that again for this upcoming uh expansion that's coming up in february uh it's not as big um it's one campaign and uh instead of essentially what was three different campaigns one the main campaign and the two dlc campaigns um one campaign and one location the tangled shore um and um that that's all being removed the the forsaken campaign which was good luckily they're leaving the 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 dreaming city which was the more interesting of the like forsaken locations um but the forsaken opinion. campaign is going behind the, into yeah, the wall yeah yeah the forsaken, the forsaken campaign. campaign super fun yeah like, it's a good I one that just like for no reason just because i had wanted to recently and it's great. Like, yeah. it's, all the missions are fun. The storyline is fun. Uh, it's one of the better examples of, you know, you see Destiny 2 writers and game makers understanding how to actually put the narrative inside of the story for once, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like a good big success for them. So it's surprising to me that they don't want people to play uh, material that's good. I didn't really have an issue with a lot of stuff that was vaulted because it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and like, they, I think it like it's just another example of like oh i guess this is just because of space at this point because that is good it made yeah. a lot of sense like that old stuff did not age well um some of it had been ret retconned and stuff but this yeah. campaign was overall like seen pretty positively and seen as a like corrective to the kind of poor launch of destiny 2 and so it's just like no, in order to put in the new stuff, we're we have to take something out, and that's the oldest stuff currently that currently exists. So it literally it's just like one in, one out at this point. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I they say that it's because of the way that the game is built. Uh, although I would just say, like, give us an option to let the game balloon at a certain point. But part of it definitely has something to do with the fact that it's a live service game the like menus they they could they could figure this out if they really wanted to probably 
Um, but they're more interested in having people be keep be be up to date, right? Um, which is you know a, a a weird place. Like as someone who's up to date, this like doesn't affect me at all, essentially. Which is um, you never it, have any nostalgia to like. Yeah, I'm no. gonna play the. But there's too much campaign. to do, right? Like there's too much moving forward. Like I'm not even. I'm a couple weeks behind on the story right now. Um, it's a bummer because people like I would tell people that that if you wanted to start like getting caught up, that would be a good place to start. Um, the one that follows is a little more removed. I feel like as far as story goes, shadow keep is a little bit more in the middle than forsaken forsaken feels like you can start there and be like, okay, I'm, I'm beginning. There's kind of a, a strong narrative like introduction and thrust through that campaign. And shadow keep is a little bit more like, um, it, it kind of required Forsaken, in my opinion, to kind of get things started. So they just like keep disjointing, like the idea of there being, uh, you know, one continuative narrative in this game, uh, so that like anyone who's new or is trying to catch up with what is happening, it's just going to be completely left in the dark. Uh, the all of the uh, <laughs> the video creators in the destiny universe are gonna you know have to be filling in the gaps basically uh which they've already started like even before when it was like the issue was the the lore the lore was in grimoire cards you know since the beginning there was always someone on youtube filling in the holes for people as they played destiny and now it's just more intense because it's like oh (laughs) you used to be able to play this actually (laughs) Yeah, I so I'm gonna make a bad analogy here, mm-hmm. um, and knowing it's bad is not going to stop me. So here goes. It also reminds me a little bit of like service cuts uh, to like struggling enterprises, perhaps uh, <laughs> where where it's like, boy, this is becoming a lot of upkeep, and uh, we do not feel that like there is enough interest to justify continuing this stuff. Uh, remaining operational day to day. Um, and so we're going to uh, reduce reduce service. We're going to reduce the amount of stuff there is for you to do in this thing. And I get it. Um, and it, it maybe is smart just to be focusing again, like people who play Destiny are the people who play Destiny and they're probably not sitting around being like, man, I can't wait to re- rerun that Forsaken <laughs> campaign. Uh, but at the same time, it does seem like uh, you are necessarily also making a less enticing offer for like bringing new people in. Yeah. Uh, because like, like MMO is basically almost generally MMO content, good or bad stays in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, where like you go to the place, it might be deserted, but this is where all the old expansion shit is. And you go do that, do those quest chains and it's always there and you sort of get caught up on the story, however long it's been running. Um, and destiny is now sort of taking a sledgehammer and whacking out key pillars (laughs) of like the evolution of destiny's, uh, story and universe. Um, there's a, and there's now an in-game summary system there's like a little menu with nodes where you can like mouse over the node and the node is like hey this is what happened in the red war the <laughs> first campaign Christ. yeah it's Very like a paragraph so su- it's a paragraph summary too it's not even like 
very in-depth. <laughs> Truly makes more sense than playing through those campaigns did at the time. Oh, your class I think the field first trip couple to the sure, Destiny Memorial but... uh, Battlefield Park. <laughs> Yeah, there's, I mean, later on, you can see now, like with Beyond Light, you could tell that they figured out, okay, we know how to do this. We know how to put the story in the game now. <laughs> we yeah. we got it, guys. We'll have the characters talk to you. <laughs> I wonder how much this is also driven by, like, the difficulty of keeping this stuff up versus they never did get to a good solution for, like, indexing and organizing old content, right? Like, no. because the game's always fundamentally been a place where you load into a hub or go to a little map to go like pull up your menu it never has really had a good way of like organizing those old playlists no. so many yeah. god dang missions that i'm in progress on and yep. i don't know what most of them are i just don't because i i picked them up like literally years ago in some cases and they're just still there <laughs> i just yeah. don't know what they are yeah, like I, I will say like when I've gone back and I've looked up old content, it, it doesn't land the same because the hub universe is caught up on the current stuff. Yeah. And then you run the old mission text and it's like, wow, I can really see the seams. Uh, there aren't yeah. seams anymore, like just giant rents in the fabric <laughs> of this thing uh, coming apart. So, uh, yeah, I was just curious how that's being received. Uh, I get I get why they're making the decision, but like just instinctively, I'm like. But that's good narrative work. Yeah. You're disappearing now. Uh, I think so. I I think we're far enough. Character too. Like we're far enough removed know. from the Forsaken campaign that p- people weren't too upset about losing that campaign. There was a slight worry about losing uh, the Dreaming City because currently there's a lot of stuff actually going on in this season in the Dreaming City and one of the better raids in the game right now still is the the last wish in the dreaming city um all of that is staying safe it's just the like story stuff that's being taken out and the tangled shore location so it it's been hitting like oh yeah nobody really liked that place anyways kind of the story is like oh we already did it so that kind of sucks for new people i guess but a lot of the fandoms like ah here we go again i guess that's cool as a guy, it's just kind of like an annoying drug dealer type character. Yeah. And it's like the archetype never gets expands from there. Like so many other Destiny archetypes have expanded. Like yeah. he truly is just sort of like Jabba the Hutt. And he yeah. just is Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> That's all he's gonna ever going to be. The most interesting storyline having to do with him was the one where the crow comes back and you have to you're basically just taking the crow from spider but it's not because spider's there it's because the crow's there (laughs) yeah exactly it's just like hey stop working for job of the hut and then eventually he says yes yeah i'll stop working for job of the hut (laughs) the uh it sounds sounds like a great narrative twist it's just how you interact with destiny characters where it's like all right i'm gonna go run down the monster hallway and kill everything and that'll change things and it's like yes it will it's like great <laughs> yeah so i wanted to check i'll be back this is my love but i've said forever like basically guardians and destinies are professional extreme sports sports athletes like they're all professional skateboarders who have absolutely no understanding of what's going on no fear of personal injury and are willing to do the sickest shit in the world constantly like that's all they want to do yeah that truly is guardian <laughs> culture where it's just like they finish their sick jumps they land it's like hey nice one yeah good twist <laughs> yeah Big up. All that vine that's like, hey, what's up? I'm 26 years old. I never fucking learned how to read. Like, that's what I imagine. Yep. 
like anytime an NPC talks to me in Destiny, I always I'm usually on voice chat with my friends Maddie and Nico, and like we're, we're I always just react like I imagine my guardian is reaction, which is like, damn, that's crazy. I have no idea what you're talking about, though. I'll help you out. <laughs> damn, All right, that's well, crazy. Uh, we will. Sorry, guess, or good luck, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the approach Bungie is taking to anyone returning to Destiny or trying to climb aboard it uh, fresh. Bungie two players. I ain't going to read all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so that is a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, fa- Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me uh, at Rob Zachney on Twitter. Gita, where can people find you? You can find me at XOXO Gossip Gita on Twitter. Patrick. At Patrick Kopic. Kato. At A underscore Kato underscore appears. You can also check out what we've published on waypoint.vice.com. You can check out Patrick's review of Metroid Dread, uh, Matthew's piece on Far Cry 6, and Gita should have a piece on Alan Wake, either by the time uh, you're hearing this or very shortly after. Uh, Next week, over on Waypoint Plus, we've got a show on the Strugatsky's Roadside Picnic, the novel that inspired uh, both the film and the game Stalker, uh, though those two... Game Stalker and Film Stalker, very different things. Uh, Gita will also be joining us to talk about the Film Stalker, uh, I think, in about two weeks' time. Uh, so keep your ears out for that. If, if that all sounds good or you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Uh, that'll give you access to our premium feed, but also you're helping support Waypoint and especially uh, making it possible for Waypoint to keep streaming. Uh, this week, well... Might already be old news by the time you hear this, but I think we're going to be playing uh, Back for Blood if everything goes well. If it does not, we'll be playing something else, and you will be able to find <laughs> out by going to our Twitch channel uh, at twitch.tv slash waypoint. Uh, anyway, that is uh, just about it for today's show. Our theme music, as always, is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Uh, that will do it for this week. And we'll talk to you again next week. Until Not then, Monday. Buck- hey, Not day off. Yeah, day off on Monday, which means no Tuesday podcast. But yes, Tuesday stream. Oh shit! So that means Tuesday. Oh yeah, we, we come back on we Stalker. Doing that Ted Lasso thing. Now we can't. We're no, not do the Ted Lasso. no, we can do the Ted Lasso thing at some point. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, we can still do it. I just we're not, <laughs> not do it next on week. Yeah. Uh, but until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.